chapter um, 3. Philippians chapter 3. Sorry, I, had, I, had to, I just realized I had a couple videos that we're going to watch here in a second. I had to move the big bulky thing that was going to block everybody from the screen. And this is the way it goes, like, it's just kind of the way, you know, when you're sitting, like, right here in the middle, you just, there just might be something in the way blocking your screen, you know, so, but we try to move some of that kind of stuff out of the way, but Philippians chapter 3, everybody there, you got it? Anybody got your Bibles with you this morning? There's a couple Bibles, my pastor down in Florida, he used to, every, every Sunday, he would, he would come to church, he says, all right, get your Bible, raise, raise your Bibles in the air, make God glad and the devil mad, <clears throat> Right, amen. I always wondered, like, does it really make the devil mad when you raise your Bible in the air? Like, yeah, I got you now, devil. <laughs> right? I don't know. That was the thing that they did. It's just what they do. All right, Philippians um, chapter 3. We're going to read here a passage um, that is kind of one of my, you know, a, a kind of a favorite passage of mine. But before we do that, I want to kind of share a story with you about... Um, Three blondes that made it to heaven. Three blondes that made it to heaven. All right, and sorry for the blondes that are here today. All right. Um, they died and are at the pearly gates of heaven. And St. Peter uh, tells them. Now understand that when I tell some of these stories that these are not very, very theologically sound. Okay. So I don't think that St. Peter is going to meet you at the gate or something like that, okay? Um, so I just want to make sure that we all understand that. Nor do I think that they're going to ask you questions like this. Like So um, St. Peter tells them that they can enter the gates if they can answer one simple question. And St. Peter asked the, the first blonde, what is Easter? The blonde replies, oh, that's easy. It's the holiday in November where everyone gets together, eats turkey, and is thankful for stuff. Wrong, St. Peter replies, and he proceeds to go on to the second blonde and ask the second blonde the same question, hey, what is Easter? Okay, the second blonde replies, Easter is the holiday in December where we put up a nice tree, exchange presents, and drink eggnog. And St. Peter looks at the second blonde, shaking his head in disgust, and tells her she's wrong, and then moves on to the third blonde. And he goes over to the third blonde, and he asks, hey, what is Easter? The third blonde uh, smiles confidently and looks at St. Peter in the eyes and says, I know what Easter is. Oh, uh, oh, really, St. Peter replies, Easter is the Christian holiday that coincides with the Jewish celebration of Passover. Jesus and his disciples were eating the Last Supper. Then the Romans took him to be crucified, and he was stabbed in his side, made to wear a crown of thorns, and he was hung on a cross with nails uh, through his hands. He was buried in a nearby cave where he was sealed off by a large boulder. And St. Peter smiles with this great grin and delight from the fact that one of these blondes finally answered the, correctly, the answer correctly confident knowing this and then all of a sudden without prompting the blonde pipes up again and every year the boulders are moved aside so that jesus come out can come out and if he sees a shadow there will be six more weeks of winter look it just is what it is how many remember the the days of the blonde jokes right 
It was like when I was growing up, I think in high school, it was like when they were in their prime. Everybody was telling, you know, blonde jokes. Um, so anyways, um, so it's Easter, and we're celebrating um, Christ has risen from the grave. It's the, we're, the, we're, we're the only religion in the world that, uh, that worships a God that is not dead, but is alive. Every religion out there that has a prophet or a leader or a founder, all of those people have passed away and died, and we serve a God who has overcome the grave, okay? Overcome the grave. And so we're going to look here in Philippians, probably not one of the most preached about sermons or messages or, or scriptures during the Easter season, but I was, I was kind of preparing I really kind of felt led to this particular passage, and, and over the, maybe the past couple of weeks, God began to kind of speak some things to me, and this is probably one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, and you know, I, I know like, you know, can you really have favorite passages of Scripture, right? I mean, like, it's all like really good, right? You know, so it's not like one passage is more important or better than another, but there are maybe even seasons of our life, right, where one passage means a lot more to us in that particular season, going through the things that we're going through, and we kind of need uh, that word to remind us of God's faithfulness or his promises or something. Um, but this was one that always in my life has kind of stuck out to me, even at a young age. When I was younger, I just, I really clinged a hold of this, and Paul's writing and his message here behind this particular passage. And so I want us to read here Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 8 and then finishing off in 11. It says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own in him, but having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. All right. So this particular passage here, you're, um, you know, it's, you're kind of looking at it. If you go back maybe several more verses, what you find is Paul is actually, he's, he's kind of in a way saying like, if anybody, you know, in the Christian faith at this particular time has reason to boast in the things that they have accomplished in their life, he says, I have reason to boast. I have all of these reasons. And then he begins to go through and list all the things that he's done in his life, all the accomplishments that he's done in his life, and all these things that he's accomplished and these these merits that he has, these things that have, have kind of, he has notched and, and these great achievements that he's achieved over the course of his life. He has all these things that he has done. And then he gets into verse 8, okay, and he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Okay, I count them as rubbish. Other translations say that Paul says, I count them as, I count them as dung, okay? They're worthless, okay? They're, they're, they're as, as worthless 
as a pile of dung. They're as worthless as all of these things. All right? And this is what Paul's saying. All of these achievements, all of these things that he has, all of these things that he has done, they're, they're worthless to him that to, uh, in his life. And the reason why he says this, he says, because I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. So if you took out a sheet of paper and you wrote down on a sheet of paper all of your great accomplishments in your life, okay, all the, all, the, all of the greatest things that you've ever done in your life, okay? Think about all of them. Maybe it's um, mission trips, your education, your promotions, your achievements, your awards, maybe your championships, or whatever it is, whatever great achievements that you've accomplished in your life, write them all down. And Paul says that that list of achievements, in his mind, he says, when I write, Paul says, when I write mine down and look at all of my greatest achievements, all of those things are worthless in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. They're worthless. They're dung in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. All right? And so this is kind of where he goes with this. And he says, so that I may know him and the power of the resurrection becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Okay? I want to know Christ. All right? And the power of his resurrection, right? All of these things in my life that I've accomplished, okay, are worthless when you, when you compare them to this pursuit of knowing Christ, right? And then Paul goes on, and this is what I want to focus on here, becoming like him in his death. And we know that Paul's not referring to the fact that we should all go be crucified. We should all be arrested by the Romans and flogged and beaten and then hung up on a cross. Um, and when it's not possible... Right, um, and it's just not practical. So obviously, Paul is speaking something here from an illustrative standpoint, becoming like him in his death, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow I may attain a resurrection from the dead. I want to, I want to throw this out here real quick, as this kind of just hit my brain. Over the next couple weeks after this particular Sunday, we're going to be talking about a subject called grown-up faith. And, and this is, we, we kind of get on some of this as well here, but it, um, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be addressing the 10 most commonly asked questions about God and, and how they actually go in chronolo- chronological order through the Bible. And, and it's just some phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Um, and and it's so there's going to be a lot of things, you know, like, um, and, and we've talked about some of this stuff before, but like, uh, why, do, why do good things happen to bad, or why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? That could be part of the question, right? Um, why do bad things happen to good people? Why can't I, why can't I do what I want? Um, why? So it goes through all of these, these questions about God, the 10 most commonly qu- uh, asked questions about God. Now, here's the thing in, in your life. You may be the kind of person that you just kind of believe, and you don't really have any questions, all right, because you just have good faith. But you may know somebody that does have questions. So it's important to know the answer to the questions, even if you don't care to know the answer to the questions. That way, you can help other people along their path and their journey. But Paul here says that, I want to become like him in his death. And so today, it's kind of the culmination of the Passion Week, beginning with the Passover, uh, I mean, the uh, uh, Palm Sunday, uh, last Sunday, where the, um, the triumphal entry of Jesus uh, into the city of Jerusalem and all the things that went on uh, to the Last Supper, to the, the arrest and... Uh, and the crucifixion and the death on Good Friday, and then today celebrating Easter. 
I want us to look at three things that happened um, in, um, in that last week, but also in the life of Jesus as he was on the cross and what he did through the cross, all right? Three things. Paul says, I want to become like him in his death. What does it mean to become like Jesus in his death? What does it mean to become like him in his death? And I think that if you look at maybe some of the last words of Jesus, or you look at some of the last actions of Jesus, we might be able to see some of the, the ways that we can become like him in his death. So we're going to start off with our videos, with video number one. This is a no-brainer. We do exactly what Jesus said. We go into town, we find the donkey with its coat. I just don't understand why Jesus wants us to commit a crime. He wants us to steal a donkey. No, no. Not steal. Borrow. Oh, so we're just supposed to stroll into town, untie the donkey, and... And say exactly what he said to say. What is it? Oh, that the Lord has need of it? Yes, and we'll return it. What does that even mean, the Lord has need of it? It's self-explanatory. Why are you being so, so... So, so, so me? Because you all know that I'm a rule follower of the bunch. I just don't know why Jesus just didn't ask Peter to do this. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. This is so up Peter's alley. Steal the donkey, cause an uproar, that's his thing. Peter is the reason why banks chain their pens. Oh, I just don't want to go to jail. You know I hate one-ply toilet paper. I... Lower your voice. Look, we're just going to do what Jesus says. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? I don't know. A cracked rib, a busted lip, the kind of name-calling that'll put you in therapy years down the road. Stop it! Stop whining! Stop talking! Stop everything! Stop freaking out! Um, I, I, I don't mean to be judgy here, but someone needs to get the log out of their own eye. You have trust issues. Serious trust issues. You even know how many germs are in a jail cell, do you? No, 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 I don't. I don't. I'm sure it's a whole lot, okay? I don't know. And I don't know why Jesus wants us to get a donkey, and I don't know why people are gathering branches over here and lining the streets, but it just seems like there's something big is about to happen. Wait a minute. Yeah. Go back. Why did you say I had trust issues? Okay. Okay, let's make it about you. What? Think about it. Since we've been following him, we've seen him give sight to the blind. He's healed people with leprosy. He's raised people from the dead. From the dead? I can't even raise you from a nap. Hey, I think we can trust him with this donkey issue. I just did. I have trust issues. I see how Jesus trusts the Father. He trusts so much, even more than the ground that I'm standing on. To trust someone like that, I, I, I just can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah. But if you're going to trust someone, it's him, right? Oh. Okay, all right, let's do it. We got this. Right. You first. Baby steps. Hey, when we get there and we grab said donkey, 
maybe I really should leave like a Benjamin. No. A 20 spot? No. A thank you card. Stop it. All right, I'll trust him. <clears throat> Why is it do you think that it is so hard sometimes to trust God? Right? Um, I don't think that it's, um, even as people here that we would say that we love God and, you know, we care about God and all of these kinds of things, um, why is it hard sometimes to trust Him? And so the, the question that we can ask ourselves is, do we trust Him? You know, we see the story here, these two guys having dialogue at the beginning of the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, Jesus asked His disciples to go get a donkey uh, from a guy that, in, that wasn't theirs, he wasn't a disciple, he wasn't a follower, just some random guy that owned a donkey, and he said, go get the donkey. And they had to trust Him in order to obey Him to do it. We know that Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6 says, right, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, not part of your heart, not the areas of your life that make sense, not when things are, are, are put together or things seem to be adding up. It doesn't say any of those things about any of that. It says that we're to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, all of our life, all of, our, all of the things that we deal with in our life. And here, you know, we, we see the story, and, and it begins with a verse where Jesus on the cross says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, okay, where he is trusting. Did you know if you even go back a little bit further than that, right, what, what, what was happening in Jesus' life when he was, um, before he was arrested, we see that Jesus was in the garden, and he was praying, all right, and he was asking God, let this cup pass for me. I don't want to have to go through this. I don't want to be beaten. I don't want to be arrested. I don't want to have a crown of thorns. I don't want to be whipped with a cat of nine tails. I don't want to do all these things. I don't want to be hung on a cross with nails through my wrist and my feet. I don't want to let this pass for me. But then in the end, after all of it was said and done, what would Jesus say? Not my will, but your will be done. Whatever you want, God, I will go through it. Whatever you want from me, I will do it. Jesus ultimately, even Jesus, the Son of God who was living on the earth, came, even had to come to a point in his life where he said, God, even though it doesn't make sense, even though I wish we could do it another way, even though all of those things are true, I will trust you and I will do it your way. See, Jesus, even in those final words, he had to trust God. You know that, um, that one, of the, one of the most foundational elements to every relationship is trust. Like when trust is broken, the relationship breaks. And if we're supposed to be in a relationship with a father, but we don't have trust in him, it breaks the relationship. It fragments, it creates uh, fault lines in the relationship. And we've got to learn to trust him in every aspect, in every area of our life. We've got to learn to trust him. And so Paul says, I want to become like him in his death. And what was Jesus like in his death? He said, Father, I trust you. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I give you all of me. 
all of me. Trust him when dark doubts assail thee. Trust him when thy strength is small. Trust him when to simply trust him seems the hardest thing of all. Trust him, he is ever faithful. Trust him for his will is best. Trust him for the heart of Jesus is the only place of rest. Trust him. Just trust him. In every area of your life, you want to be like him in his death, like Paul says, I want to be like him in his death so I somehow I can attain the resurrection of the death. I'm going to trust God in every area of my life. Every area. So, so you know what that means? Sometimes you got to let go. You got to let go. You got to stop acting like you're in control and you just got to let go. Right? Give it to God. You trust him. Give, him, give, him, give your kids to him. Give your hopes to him. Give your dreams to him. Give your passions to him. Okay? Give, give your careers to him. Give all your possessions to him. You give everything to God. Say, God, everything that I have is yours. I give it to you. If you want to give it back, I'll take it back. If you don't, I trust you. Okay. Second video. Who hatched the plan? <laughs> that wasn't a plan. No, no, no. When you're desperately in need, you don't stop and think that digging a hole in the roof of a stranger's house might be a bad idea. You just do it. So we did it. Now we pulled that operation off. That's a story for another day. <laughs> and it's a good one. <laughs> you, you should have seen everybody's face when they were lowering me down, all sprawled out on that mat. At one point, I just looked at everybody. And I was just like, hello. <laughs> everybody was shocked. Except for Jesus. Like he was expecting me. Jesus, he had this big smile on his face. He looked up at my friends. He looked at me. And he said these words. He said, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now listen, I wasn't being lowered down on a mat because I was exhausted from running a marathon. I was being lowered on a mat because my legs didn't work. So when he said he was going to forgive my sins, I was thinking, sins? What about my legs? But I just didn't get it then. See, in saying he could forgive sins, Jesus was kind of, you know, he wasn't kind of saying it. He was, he was claiming to be God. Now, I don't have time to tell you everything the Pharisees told us we had to do to earn forgiveness. Needless to say, it'd be easier to move a mountain than to find forgiveness. And here, Jesus is just handing it out. Most everybody in that room had to be thinking the same thing. Who does this guy think he is? Who does this guy think he is? You can't forgive sins if you're not God. And if you're not God, you can't do this. I went in there hoping that I could stand on my own two feet and I walked out free from sin. That's a miracle that doesn't just change me. That changes the world.
there's, you know, two sides to this here. Um, we know that um, when humanity was looking for an earthly Savior, Jesus became a spiritual one. And by becoming a spiritual one, in a way, he became an earthly one, right? Where um, people were looking for an earthly king, and he became a heavenly king. And he pushed back darkness and, and the curse of sin and the effects of sin upon our life through what he did on the cross. And, and we see here the story of the paralytic who was layered, layered, laid down, lowered down in, in, from the roof. And, and Jesus looked at him and, and he says, I, I forgive your sins. And everybody comes like, what? And, and then he says, so you know I have the power to forgive sins. You know, may you rise up and walk. And he showed the power that Jesus had to forgive sins. But you remember what we're talking about is Paul says, I want to become like him in his death. And what did Jesus say when he was hanging on a cross, when all these people were there? And it was the verse that came up at the beginning of the video. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. All right. So let me ask you this. Do you, do you forgive others? Do you forgive others when they hurt you? <clears throat> Jesus, in his, in his worst moment in his life, in his moment of death, when he's hanging naked on a cross, and his body has been beaten, okay? Now look, okay, some of us go without food for four hours, and we ain't forgiving nobody, <clears throat> all right? You know, especially if you're taking my food, all right? Jesus has gone without food. He has been beaten beyond recognition. They pulled his hair out. Okay, that the uh, uh, theologians believe that his that his his inner organs were probably spilled out to some degree because of the whipping that he took. And when he was on a cross, he's been nailed to a cross. All right, he is in the process of dying by suffocation. All right, and if all of that's not bad enough, he has people standing around hurling insults at him, hurling insults at him, calling him names. All right. The, the, the 12 guys in his life, one of them, okay, turned him in for money, okay? Ten of the others basically said, hey, we're out of here, man. We're not in for this. We didn't know this was a part of it, all right? And only one of them hung around of all his best friends that he'd been hanging around for a while. And all these people are doing all of these things to him. These people are hurling insults, calling him names, doing all of these things, all right? Um, and, and, and Jesus manages in that particular moment, okay, in, in the moment of his death, he looks out at humanity and he says, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. And that was Jesus on the cross for you and me. For us. He was forgiving them. And Paul says, I want to become like him in his death. And one of the ways that Jesus was in his death is that he was a forgiver. He forgave. And, uh, you know, I, sometimes I wonder because it's just so easy sometimes to hold on to stuff, isn't it? Isn't it easy? Isn't it easy just to get offended and hold on to something? Some family member, somebody did something, they said something, and it was probably wrong. You see, forgiveness is not dependent upon how right or wrong the, the act that was done to you was. 
right? Forgiveness is dependent upon your ability to recognize the fact that God has asked you to forgive. And there's a reason why he's asked you to forgive. And you, anybody remember the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18? It begins in, chapter, in, in verse 21, right? Where the king, there's a king and he decides to collect all his debts. So he calls all the servants in that owe him debts. Right? He calls all these servants in and he finds one servant that owed him 10,000 talents. He, this servant owed the king 10,000 talents and he didn't have the money to pay them back. So the servant falls on his knees. He begs the king for forgiveness. He says, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I'll work hard. I'll do better. I'll try to get, and, and all this. So the king just says, you know what? I'm in a good mood. I'm going to forgive all your debts. I'm going to clear all. I, you know what? Forget about it. I'm just going to clear it all. I'm going to clear it all. And that servant then leaves the king's palace. He goes out and finds another servant who owes him 100 denarii. Okay? This is the difference between, say, like, you know, $10,000 and like $15. Okay? This other servant owed him 100 denarii. Okay? And this guy, and, and the, the, the guy didn't have the $15. And so the servant took the other servant and had him thrown in jail because he didn't have the $15. And then what, guess what happens? The king finds out about what is happening, right? Because the king always finds out. He always knows. The king finds out, and he goes and fetches the servant. He forgave all his debts, and he pulls him in, and he says, What is wrong with you, you wicked servant? I forgave you this ast astronomical amount of debt that there's no way you could ever repay me. And you go out and find one little person that owes you just a little bit of money and you can't have the same mercy that I had upon you? And Jesus said, this is exactly the same way it works in the kingdom of God. Okay? When you think about all the things that God has forgiven you, I don't care if you grow up in church. I don't care if your mom and daddy were missionaries and you don't ever remember saying everything ba anything bad in your life. I, I can assure you okay, that you have sinned all right? And that one sin separated you from God, and that separation would send you straight to hell. And that one sin was enough to send Jesus to the cross. Okay? It was a debt you can never repay on your own. Never. Ever, ever. And God said, you know what? Forget it. I'm not going to make you earn it. I'm not going to make you pay your way. I'm going to pay the way for you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to provide the way. And then we go about living our life, and other people offend us. They do bad things to us. And look, it may be gross injustice. It may be gross injustice. But God says, you've got to forgive. Scripture says that if you can't forgive, you will not be forgiven. even goes that far to say, if you, you won't forgive, you will not be forgiven. My, my pastor down in Florida, he always used this, always thought this was great, and he... Um, he always said this, un unforgiveness is like drinking poison hoping that somebody else dies. When, when you don't forgive people for what they've done, it's like you're like drinking poison and saying, I got you. It doesn't work, right? Because unforgiveness hurts you more than it hurts anybody else, right? It's, there's a great illustration about unforgiveness that, um, that you know, where if you brought somebody up here and say I had some chains and I had and there was no lock and let's just say I would if, if I brought somebody up here and I wrapped all these chains around them 
right? But in order for that person to stay chained, I got to hold on to it because I have no lot, right? Now, this person doesn't know he's chained, so what he's going to do is he's going to go wherever he and do whatever he wants to do. Well, what happens is, is now wherever he goes, I got to go because in order to hold those chains against him, I've got to hold, hold on. So now I'm the one that's actually in bondage because I got to go wherever he goes. And that's what unforgiveness does to us. We're trying to hold these chains. There's no lot. We're trying to hold on to them. And everything that person does and everything they do is constantly eating at you. It's bothering you. And you're following that person around, emotionally upsetting all of your entire life because you have chosen not to forgive. And freedom only comes when you release and you let go and you say, you know what? I'm going to forgive. We become like him in his death. We forgive. Let's watch number three. My name is James, and I'm one of the disciples, but not the one you're thinking of. I'm, I'm the other one. James the Lesser. That's what the disciples would call me to distinguish between the two of us. Through the years, that's why I started calling myself. That's how I thought of myself. I was the last disciple picked. I was never the top dog. But none of that matters anymore. Because Jesus was sealed in a tomb. And three days later, he flipped life as we know it on its head. Yeah. It was evening. We were all in this large room. And he appeared. And when I say that he appeared, it, it, I mean, he was not there. And then all of a sudden, there, there he was. And he was telling us to, to calm down. He, he, he was telling us, telling us something about peace. I, I, I don't know. He was saying something about food. And, and I don't know if you work up an appetite conquering death. I, I... Needless to say, we were terrified, excited, and happy. Yeah, we were we were really happy. <laughs> we thought it was over. We thought all of this was done. But instead, he put death in its place. He did it. He did it. And when I look at myself, I see the disappointment. I see the dismissal. I see the lesser. And I realize I'm pretty forgettable. But then I remember, he did it. He conquered death. He did it for me because of the cross, because of Christ. I am redeemed, reborn even. He has set me free from my sin. He has set me free from myself. 
and I do not mind having less of me if it means I can have so much more of him. What was Jesus like in his death? Um, he put he put death in its place, right? He put he put death in his place, and the effects of death, and the work of death, and what he did it was he made us whole, right? He made us whole through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, he made us whole. Christ's ultimate mission on the cross was to destroy the work of sin that in our lives that has broken us and he came to make us whole again by breaking the power of sin and death and he put death in its place. And we no longer, listen, because of that, we no longer have to accept the insecurities that exist within us that try to define who we are. The things inside of us that try to tell us who we are. Because of the finished work of the cross, Jesus Christ sees us differently than we see ourselves, differently than the way the world sees us. Okay? And all of those things, this is what Jesus did. Becoming like him in his death, Jesus put death in his place and now put us in a position now where we can put death in its place as well. Okay? Not because we go to the cross to do it in the same fashion, but because Christ has eliminated it in our life, we no longer have to live with it and accept it in our life as well. Okay? If you want to, you can accept death in your life. Okay? You can accept the philosophies of this world in your life. You can accept the thoughts of this world in your life. You can allow the words that have been spoken Okay, that to, to kind of pierce it to your heart and begin to believe those things and it affects the way you live instead of believing the word of God. And so what I want to do, listen, I want to break every lie, every negative word, every criticism, every harsh comment that has been stuck in your mind, every word that has been spoken over you. I don't care if it's by a parent or by a friend, a co-worker or somebody at school. Okay, every lie is broken in Jesus' name and you are not who this world says you are. Okay, you are not who the psychologists say you are. Okay. You are not depressed. You are not sick. You are not weak. You are not a problem. You are not ADD. You are not any of those things, those stigmas, those labels that the world has tried to put upon you. Why? Because Christ has destroyed the work of death in us. You know what you are. This is what you are. And this is what the word of God says that you are. You are victorious. You are healed. You are more than a conqueror. You are a mighty warrior. You are anointed to do great things. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You are powerful. You are successful. You are all of those things because God's word says that you are. God's word says that you are those things. And it doesn't matter what this world has said about you. It doesn't matter what some other doctor with a PhD has tried to put some label on you. What God's word says about you is far greater than any of those things out there. 
And Christ, his finished work on the cross was that he overcame death. And Paul says, I would have become like him in his death. That if Christ put it to death, it's going to be in the grave. And it's not going to affect my life anymore. And I'm not going to live my life like I'm that anymore. Becoming like him in his death. I can trust him. Because Jesus models trust to me. Jesus showed me what it was like to ultimately trust God all the way to the very end. And if Jesus is my great example, then I know that I can trust God in every situation of my life. God took, God took the worst thing that could possibly happen to me. Listen, I mean, it's not the way Jesus died on the cross the worst thing that could happen to you. I mean, I mean, there are probably some others that might be like right there, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, you know, having boiling tar poured on top of you or something. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of stuff off the top of my head. Uh, I mean, but, but to think about the agony and the things that Jesus went through on the cross, is not that the worst thing that could possibly ever, I mean, I, I, like, I don't know. Like when you really dwell on what Jesus went through on the cross and, and yet God took the worst thing he took the worst thing that could happen to humanity and he took it and he overcame sin and the grave and I mean, like he, and he, he did all of this great things so look, you can trust him no matter how bad it gets in your life no matter how difficult it is no matter how, what the command or the instruction is that God gives you you can trust him and you know what because Jesus forgave on the cross, you can forgive too. Come on, if Jesus can do it on the cross, you can do it too. Okay? You can do it too. And I, as a matter of fact, I would say that um, you, you might be dealing with some physical issues in your life that you will never be free from until you forgive. Um, not because God doesn't want you to be healed of those sicknesses, but God wants you to forgive first. God, he wants you to be free in your mind and in your soul and your spirit first. And listen, Jesus can put to death all the things of this world and the labels of this world and all of these things. You can too. And you can walk in confidence knowing, listen, that you are a child You're his son. You're his daughter. He is the king of all kings. Okay? And there's no king, there's no earthly king on this world that would allow his children to walk around like they can't, they, they're barely getting along and they can't ever do anything right. No, man, you are a child of the king. Start acting like you're a child of the king. Start living like you're a child of the king. You don't have to allow the things of this world to hold you of this world to hold you in bondage anymore. You don't have to do it. Will you, let's just stand to our feet this morning.